0: It's your death sentence for this week. Um, we're going to do a good book for once. It's actually really good. It's called The Incendiaries. It's by R.O. Kwan. Um, but first, some news uh, The Booker long list has come out. Woo! Um, the award
1: that everyone uh, knows exists.
0: <laughs> it, it, yeah. But the Nobel Prize, you know, (laughs) and um, it's notable this year that amongst the barrage of literary fiction that no one's quite heard of, uh, there's a comic book in there, also a graphic novel called Sabrina, um, and it's the first ever graphic novel that's been long listed for the booker. Uh, There's also some steampunk called uh, Washington Black Uh neither of those are probably going to win um, it's I think it's down to either Richard Powers or Rachel Kushner just my opinion but um, and the others are just kind of there to make up space and if one of those ones does win I, I think we'll, we'll probably read on the show even though the overstory by Richard Powers is like 800 pages long and its protagonist is trees. Kind of like um.
1: Uh, I did not know that its protagonist is trees. I'm one hundred percent in.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like a an in, inverted version of that um, Nightmare Shyamalan movie where um, the trees are making people kill themselves.
1: Uh, the the
0: happening,
1: happening, yeah. The, the ha- which is too lit to be loved. <laughs> it is much like myself
0: in that regard. It's um. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good, that's a good movie. Let's play a clip. We can't just stand here as an a second, okay? Just give me- So book a book a log list, that's important for some people. Um, what's important for everyone though, is that if you uh, change your Twitter handle to Elon Musk or derivative thereof, you get automatically blocked there and then. It's, uh, you know, 1984 is here, You know, read But only way.
1: for Elon Musk.
0: Yeah, he, he's the big brother now. And um, and was he he always our big brother? Uh, tune into our eight part Elon Musk special to find out. Uh, in other literary news, the president's neck is missing. Is still the number one worldwide bestseller. Baffling.
1: People like bad books. They like them. We again. We should we should just dive fully into that that world give up good books let's quit them
0: yeah i I guarantee that um the incendiaries even though it's been in all the big magazines even though people are calling it like the book the big debut of uh 2018 i guarantee it will sell like maybe a thousand of the president's neck is missing and um and the, uh, there's a John Grisham book that's in the top ten, and there's a, I think, a Danielle Steele book that's in there, even though it's actually dead. Um, yeah, the the charts don't reflect anything at all. They're even more remote from what people are and should be reading than the book along the list. Um, but in music news, Neck Be a Death Camp uh, broke kind of big. After... Um, if you okay, if you go to Twitter, you type in Netgear Death Camp in like um, speech speech marks, uh, and you go right to the bottom, you'll find that the first person to tweet about Netgear Death Camp, apart from bots that automatically tweet anything that's on Bandcamp, the first person was was this guy. You can't tell because it's, this is on the radio, but I'm pointing my thumbs towards myself. This guy with two thumbs broke Neckbeard death camp, okay? I want everyone to know that, that I make and break music in 2018, and I cannot be killed. kind of kinda of run of shitty books and this broke it. Wait, have we even done a run of shitty books? Because that's why recall Oh no, no, the last two books I've read have been kinda of bad. But this one has, you know this one's brought it back. Uh not we, super far back.
1: We've
0: decided
1: to stop deliberately reading books that we know we would hate. To be fair, I think Um, some of the books are a surprise in terms of not being so great. Uh, Gowlin was a hate read.
0: (laughs) Oh, so a hate
1: read, yeah. Delivered all the hate that we wanted. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Bloody Butthole Antifa Massacre 2018 was uh, lit but bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There wasn't so much a hate read. I mean, I, I think, like, IRL, I would hate... Uh, William slash Jack Johnstone much more if I was like stuck in a lift with him than Tao Lin. I I imagine Tao Lin would be very boring, but he might be kind of uh, endearingly autistic in real life. But um, yeah, on the page, I think I hate Tao Lin more. uh, Because he has no excuse.
1: Yeah, I, I think about him as a person and... I want to hurl him off a cliff. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Jack and his dead uncle are just chuds.
0: Yeah, there's a billion of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, You kill one, a thousand more come out of Twitter. They're a horrible
1: hydra that can't Mm. ever be killed. Um, And it's depressing, but that's also, you know, that that's just life, baby.
0: Yeah. Whereas Tal he had every opportunity to be cool and he just squatted it in. But uh, The Incendiaries, though. The Incendiaries. Um, So it's written by a lady named uh, R.O. Quan. I don't know what the R.O. stands for. Uh, She's 35. She's from San Francisco, uh, I think. And uh, this is her first novel. She took 10 years writing it. And it's like uh, 200 pages. It's it just crosses the line to be a novel as opposed to novella, novella. Um, and you can kind of tell that it's been uh, fussed over and um, she's really got every single word like right where she wants it to be. Because uh, it, it's pretty damn well written. Like... Yeah. Prose, line by line, just choice. It's kind of like... Um, uh, you didn't read The uh, the Mere Wife which was a few weeks back. That was one of the best pieces of writing I've ever read. Legit. And um, that had a very clear, very focused kind of uh, goodness about it. It was like listening to, uh, I know, like Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Where it's just guitar, Leonard Cohen, and everything is crystal clear. But... Uh, I don't know how you felt about the incendiaries, but I kind of felt it was, um, it was kind of like listening to Loveless by uh, my buddy Valentine. That, it was that kind of beautiful. It wasn't the crystal beautiful. It was the avalanche of glitter beautiful.
1: Yeah, I felt, I felt roughly the same way. Uh, my brain, because it's been um, broken by your countrymen immediately goes to progressive rock for these kinds of things, but yeah. the way that there's these million interlocking pieces and taken taken on their own, they're, they're beautiful little snippets, but the way that they, the assemblage of them is just, oh, we're talking to lose again, oh no. Um, the assemblage of them just becomes this whole other like meta image that only exists when they're pieced together. It's absolutely beautiful writing, well, yeah. much less... To to uh, temporarily convince myself not just the slag, the book that we were reading last week, uh, that one was a a good example of the power of linear prose, it's like deeply, deeply linear prose. You forget what happened the last page because everything's moving along at a quick clip. This felt much more, to use that term that literary analysts like quite a bit and don't use around lay people because it makes us look like dickheads. Uh, it's very holographic like you wanted to keep thinking about lines in regard to previous lines anticipating how future lines may recontextualize what you're reading like it it wants to be a single 200 page thought in your head rather Mm. than a series of sentences Uh,
0: yeah absolutely again pretty much pulled it off there there was no there's no bad writing in this like if you're going to take 10 years on 200 pages then you need to come out with this because otherwise yeah. you've wasted 10 years. But um, yeah. So let's just summarize this one. Um, so it's narrated by a guy named Will. He is a college student at a college in upstate New York. He meets a a girl named Phoebe. Uh, she's... I don't, I don't. want to call her a manic pixie dream girl because she is not by any means. He, he needs her to complete himself in the way that, the protagonists of manic pixie dream girl films need. Um, you know, Natalie Portman or Zoe Deschanel to complete them. Uh, Zoe Deschanel was in The Happening too, and um, holographic, and um. There we go. Yeah, she, she's uh, fun, and she goes to parties, and she dances, and he's not fun at all. Um, and he gets progressively less fun as the book progresses. But uh, Phoebe falls in with um, what turns out to be a cult, run by a guy named John Leal, who um, claims to have been um, in a North Korean gulag, although it's unlikely that he actually has been. Uh, oh, I should I should point out that there may be some slight spoilers here, um, because it's a pretty short book. Um, you don't have to go particularly far in the book to get to plot points that might be spoilery. So if you're very sensitive to spoilers, then, I don't know, go, go listen to, I don't know, The, the Dollop, that's good, or, uh, you know, there's lots of good shows out there. Um, so, yeah, he... Phoebe gets in with this John Leal character. He is, he doesn't come up a whole lot. He's he's pretty absent for, he's entirely absent for the back half of the book. And he's in it very little in the first part, but um, he gets so into this Christian, um, a very very pro life cult, and I mean we can say that um, they end up blowing up some. Uh, family planning clinics, because that's actually literally on the back cover of the book. And um, yeah, she ends up becoming a pro-life terrorist business dude. And uh, Will, as all good um, literary fiction protagonists have to, he has to come to terms with it. There's a lot of coming to terms in this. But big time, coming to so many
1: terms. There's a lot of terms, and you've got to, you don't know where they go yet. And you yeah. got to figure out, you got your big shit. Like, it's like playing Trouble, the uh, a children's game, where it vibrates and pops all the pieces out. It's like, my terms! <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, yeah, I, I, I guess. I, I'm really hoping that's holographic, it'll become smart as we, we keep, uh, keep going.
1: Because right. life gets really fucked up.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, so... yeah. His, his, his life does get big fucked up. He's um, and <laughs> mostly it's his fault that he deserves it. Oh yeah, he, yeah. He's um, yeah. I want to spend a little time on Will as a character because he is um, very easy to hate. He's one of the really um. Because I was thinking about um when I first heard of this book, coincided like almost exactly when there was some there was some asshat who um managed to make a fool of himself on Twitter by talking about how he as a man isn't allowed to write female characters, and um here in *In the um Kairokwan, who is female, is writing entirely from a male character, um. And she does it so well. And I mean, I can't say I relate to this guy. I, I hope I don't because he is a horrible horrible person. Yeah. Um, actually no. In, in like in college, like I messed myself up over girls as much as he did. Luckily, they didn't yeah. like me back because I would yeah I would be hopefully not as horrible, but I would be getting there because young men. 19-year-old a, guys
1: it's are a, like this. It's a, it's a depressingly common narrative of young men that I think even even uh, like decent um, progressive and socialist men sometimes can't quite balance the line between erasing that they had a past that they had to overcome or had instincts they had to overcome versus being overly uncomfortably apologetic and shameful about it at all moments. Um, But yeah, there's a lot here. That's the dark shadow of like, maybe if I hadn't run into the positive influences that I had, you just see it down, down a corridor, not next to you, but you're like, "Ah, I recognize those thoughts. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's yeah. He, does relate to phoebe as a manic pixie dream girl who's going to fill in the gaps in his life and that's like a horribly destructive way and very common way of guys thinking because he he um he was um before the book begins he was a very very committed christian and um in the interviews i've read uh miss kwan herself was the same like she's her analog in the book is actually will of all people She was, um, up until she was about 17, was uh, very, very Christian. Then had a crisis of faith and stopped. And kind of a a big thing in this book is that kind of God-shaped hole, as I think it gets referred to. And um, what people do to fill it, and with Will, it's Phoebe. He, like, worships her and as soon as she's gone, he has an even bigger Phoebe-shaped hole and it fucks him up. Because using people and or gods to fill stuff inside you doesn't work, cause, and it's a bad idea. Um, yeah, he's... Um... It's,
1: uh, yeah, it's... it. I really liked it as, uh, as someone who dealt with uh, that a relatively similar succession of um of problems. Oh, cats in. Uh, of having a massive crisis of faith, um, and then passing into the shitheaded ways that you try to fill that gap um, before you know better ways to fill that gap. Uh, Quan parsed, I think, a deeper unspoken psychological issue that we see in a lot of um we see it manifest in why new atheists went so crazy (laughs) um we see it in why elements of the left can sometimes cannibalize itself even when uh like holding fellow leftists accountable is good auto cannibalization is bad um and then we also see that in like the oddness of people having sudden resurgences in faith and becoming, uh, sometimes that can be a good thing and can be a positive feeling thing. And then other times it can become this path to them becoming substantially more wicked and violent mm-hmm. um, because of that sort of, it gets talked about a lot by people outside of philosophy space as like a flippant problem, but that notion of the God-shaped hole and sometimes our vast inability to cope with disorder and the fact that there is not an order for things to be reordered to.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, like the, the, the rabidness to find literally enti- anything to become the central pillar. Um, and that's sort of like Will's rabidity toward having Phoebe as just a mast to cling to like thinking in terms of like a Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner just to have literally anything to save him from the storm um she does a good job of painting where the thought comes from while also not letting him off the hook for how incredibly shitty and dehumanizing it is hmm. but does it from within his perspective which I was like ah, shit you're a good writer <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: like, um, yeah, and it's uh, it reminds me of I think it was uh, Slavov Zizek friend of a show, uh, who, <laughs> um, talked about in his hilarious way how most uh, suicide bombers aren't like lifelong, um, fundamentalist adherents of whatever faith they're from. They're always like. A guy who, I don't know, went to prison, uh, read the Quran, and when he comes out of prison, was couldn't get a job, and everything was fucked up for him. Then he ends up strapping a vest onto himself, and um, that's like a very extreme example. That's not much more extreme than what happens in the incendiaries, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, that that God-shaped hole that. Um, Zizek and earlier Nietzsche and even Hegel talks about it a bit, because um, he actually came up with the, the whole death of God idea. Most people don't know that. Um, yeah. They, uh, it's um, it's a huge thing, and it's uh, ever since that kind of God-shaped hole opened up in society at large. You probably called that during the Enlightenment or whenever. That's it's been a pretty major factor in how f- things got s- so fucked up and um I mean you
1: tend sometimes to marginalize its impact because we view it as cartoonian um for people outside of the philosophy world Nietzsche has this overtone of um being an angsty fascist dweeb yeah, like but, the
0: original edge lord
1: yeah but in terms of um Hegel's quite plain about the idea. He just presents it as like part of the progression of Western thought is the enlightenment was a work to strike out God and replace it with science. And then the rest of history was the issues that arose from that and and our ability to troubleshoot them. And, uh, Nietzsche's response was more the psychological impact of the lack of God that on a broader social end. Yes, there were certain things that, um, went on but on the interior we still craved that higher image and so a brief aside Nietzsche's whole argument is that we should put a better version of ourselves in the place where god would have been and to make life the striving to become that higher self um it gets he phrased it like a dickhead because he was kind of a dickhead he was smart but he was a dickhead mm. um but uh yeah that general I think you even see in left spaces that that's like, no, that's not the big problem. The big problem is resisting injustice and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not, that's not bad or wrong, but sometimes uh, it creates a big issue in leftist space where we view, we only view people based on their political utility. It becomes a political uh, capitalism versus a uh, capital-based capitalism where instead of people's value only being the capital they possess and the capital they have the ability to create it becomes how politically useful are you being how many protests are you going to how many uh resistance measures are you participating in things like that and not that the greater aim so like replacing a dream of the world with resistance to world towards the world that is and even though the world is very wicked the necessity for i actually know i'm doing it right now the the necessity for a dream of the future is is itself a a way to fill that void because that the big gap that reminds us of meaninglessness and death it's just this big fucking spooky thing that no one figures out and then they die
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the dream of the future comes in in a religious way here. There's a lot of talk yeah. about uh, people going to heaven and being reunited with their loved ones, even the very last, um, it's not a because it's an innocent image, not a plot point, but on the very last page almost, there's this almost like rapture of people standing on the subway um, that uh, will kind of half hallucinates, And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, co- it's a he- common human thing. It's not, a, uh, it's not a left thing, it's not a Christian thing. It's just, it's just people, man. It's people. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to go back into fanaticism and all kinds of shit in the next half, but let's play a song first. And I'm sorry to say it's a black metal song, but it's disgusting and sick as hell, so um, it may be good. You might like this one. And it's by a person... oh yeah, it is a woman. Sorry, I, there was a yep. little discussion before the show on whether this was a 1-1 one, one black metal band. So we got two uh, solo female black metal bands uh, today. First one is Holder, H-U-L-D-E-R. Um, Belgian-American, uh, working in Portland, uh, has one demo out on, on a uh, stitching black hand out of Brooklyn, just the best fucking name I've ever heard for anything ever, and amazing uh, logo. Black hand.
1: That is. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that logo whips.
0: I know, and they've, they've even got a beautifully designed band page, and they're they're tape cover for Holder's uh, demo, Ascending the Stone looks pretty fucking badass. It's like old school, but still very much today. It's, it's a good damn um, thing. They're really, you know, I haven't ever listened to anything on this label before, but I, I like them now. But uh, yeah, Holder plays kind of really old school, second wave, medieval black metal. Uh, uh, cites Burzum as an influence which is not cool but um, yeah, literally cite- the only um, influence cited is Burzum. not okay I wish I'd seen that earlier but this is still really fucking good music so listen to uh, Best Your Form of Humanity Fingers
1: crossed she doesn't turn up as a racist later
0: yeah because that, that <laughs> kind of has happened before in uh, Ladies in Black Metal well, that, that, that whole, uh, what's her name? Oh, God, I forget her name. Now. Uh, Mirker. Mirker, yeah. Uh, who's also, um, name means darkness, just like Berzen does. And, um, yeah, she, she says some fucked up shit. So um, let's hold out hope for Holder that she's not a horrible <laughs> racist. And she's from Portland, so could really go either way. And it's gonna go really far either way, because she's from Portland, and people from Oregon are completely insane on one side of the political spectrum. Here's Holder. <laughs> cross, she's not a racist. Uh, so let's go back into the Incendiaries, which really good name for a band if uh, anyone's... give it like five six years and you can probably jump on that band name. And um, I want to talk a little about kind of what we brought up a bit earlier about uh, fanaticism in, um, in this book and in, in real life. And what we can Kind of what the book uh, suggests about it and about what we can do about it, because it it kind of seems bleak about the the book, about what the possibilities are for living in the world when everyone has a God-shaped hole.
1: Yeah. The perennial project of literary fiction in general, and I think one of the great necessities of it and why even as like a big genre reader i have a whole i have a bunch of bookshelves dedicated to comics and sci-fi books and fantasy a big reason why literary fiction remains this uh big part of my artistic diet is the fact that it's central because if we're honest it is also a uh, a collection of micro genres just like any of those other spaces cool. but that's not really contentious um hypothesis Its biggest concern for the past probably 130 years or so has been uh, the possibility and impossibility of reconciliation with the world and with the self. Um, And yeah, this looks at a pretty severe and persistent issue, like without citing... Without citing right wing talking points, um, I don't think anyone in the world was uh, happy about 9-11 um, or in Britain, like uh, 7-7 bombings or in Spain. things Like, like uh, especially because when the rejoinder is, yes, those were terrible, but here's some uh, white nationalist right wing terrorist activities. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel better uh, or existentially safer, not necessarily physically, but existentially, uh, when our rejoinder to, um, fanatical and inexplicable or not inexplicable, but fanatical and unpredictable violence in one end is to bring up significantly more, uh, significantly closer, equally fanatical violence occurring, uh, around us. And then to have the rejoinder of that being the persistence of racism and misogyny and transphobia and queerphobia and the violence that spurs through that in the like it yeah at a certain point you feel like you're riddled with holes <laughs> yeah you're like oh that's a lot of terror but and they're like no that's yep that's it and you're like that's it and you're like that's it baby. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that idea of fanaticism coming from a lack of, not an overabundance of faith. That's um, as we said, uh, Zizek talks about it, Nietzsche talks about it, Hegel talks, a lot of people talk about it, and it's yeah. it's kind of everywhere. And oh god, I had a point I was going to make, and now it's gone. Ugh. Um. Yeah, it becomes like the.
1: You have a childlike faith, and that can persist into adulthood, um, but it's not necessarily uh, just maintaining faith in the things that you have as a child. It's when you're presented the uncomplicated nature of the world and the uncomplicated nature of people, where it's this very—and um, even sometimes as leftists, we appeal to this in people, that view people as people that have— love lives and histories and dignity and deserve to follow those to the best of their ability uh, without, so long as they aren't actively uh, participating in oppressive structures in the world. And the, the uncomfortable arc of normal life is we get presented with, well, what happens when they've committed this kind of malfeasance? And you're like, Oh, well, yeah, I guess that does kind of, and they're like, and this one, and you're like, yeah, that and and this one and these three and this big one, um, and gradually just those complications. Even as you can be like, well, that one I understand the arc of it. Like they were wrong, but I can at least see where their action came. At a certain point, these tiny nudges um, deal significant structural damage to that pillar of faith in in people in the world. In the possibility that people can learn from errors. And so, like, at a certain point, that childlike pillar of our faith gets wrecked. And, yeah, the the way that you can... To briefly make it uh, more directly attached to the novel, the novel riffs on, on this really, really well. You can see we enter will's life after a significant amount of damage has already been done and he's trying to repair it and the rapidity of his attempts to repair it based on what you were saying the uh this is rephrasing the lack of faith um argument that we look at this damaged pillar and we want nothing more than to restore it back to what it was but Our inability to recognize the impossibility of that and that we need to find a way to persist without this pillar sometimes blinds us and he becomes his rapid swings of the hammer to try to repair this thing inside of himself just hurts himself and people around him. Granted, he's also surrounded by really fucked up people too. Um, Oh, yeah. And that's, that's the thing that I think because we can also sometimes comfortably write stories about how, let's pick a guy who dropped a 20-minute song recently about how he definitely did everything that everyone accuses him of and he doesn't <laughs> understand why everyone hates him. Um,
0: That's the I, friend of the show, R. Kelly, for anyone who's yeah. uh, not c- keep up.
1: <laughs> so... R. Kelly drops this twenty-minute track called "I Admit," and you're like, "Oh!" And you listen to it, and he's just straight up like, "Yeah, I did all those things, but it shouldn't cost me my career." And you're like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like, I did what? Um, but he reveals some things during that song uh, of uh, uh, familial abuse, um, sexual abuse, incest, uh, the ableism that comes from being a dyslexic especially dyslexic black man in America and having the inability to convey that to people without it falling into one of several, like really gross racist um, or ableist uh, spaces, And it absolutely doesn't excuse any of the things that you did whatsoever. And also plenty of people deal with those things and don't do that, but it's also, No psychologist in the world will tell you that trauma can never lead to internalizing it improperly and becoming a more toxic and traumatic person yourself. Like that's the the uncomfortable great task of anyone faced with any level of trauma is we bear the responsibility of processing it within ourselves so that we don't carry it forward in improper ways or project it onto
0: yeah, like uh, Sartre said, uh, oh. li- Sartre was said, um, life is what you do with what's been done to you. So yes,
1: and this novel reads very explicitly as a story of, um, first the thought that most people in the world do not take this responsibility very seriously, and two, what happens when enough of these. People who don't take this stuff seriously start getting together and start passing their traumas either through being abusive to one another, as Will frequently is, um, and as Will receives in the novel, or holographically putting it on people, like uh, through through gaslighting, through encouraging them to follow your poorly formed traumatic ideas and ideals, um, like the psychological abuse and twisting All of which comes from – and it's another way of phrasing the lack of faith and desire for faith is when you feel really fucked up inside. And this is actually very, very applicable to the young male experience and the older male experience, period. Probably everyone now that I'm thinking about it. But when you feel really fucked up inside and you know that you are feeling really fucked up there is sometimes very little that you won't do if you think it even might fix what's uh, going wrong in you. And that doesn't make it good at all. If anything, that's a direct route to a lot of bad action a lot of times. But um, I think Quan really really nailed that almost everything Will is doing is within his head, all done to fix this thing that's broken in him. Like, it's all very well-intentioned, and it's a desire for healing, but it's, like, so brutally misapplied.
0: Yeah, and Phoebe is the same. She's... Uh, yeah, Very much the same. Um, in fact, seeing her through Will's um, viewpoint is... makes it kind of clear that he's caricature her, and he's... He oversimplifies her, basically. I think he... He has her, his idea of what her god-shaped hole is, which is, possible spoiler, uh, the death of uh, Phoebe's mother. And Will um, clearly believes that's her key point of trauma and that's what she goes to John Neal to try and fix and that's what John Neal ends up exploiting to turn... Phoebe into a terrorist. But um, it's really clear that it's, yeah, losing your mother right in front of you is gonna fuck you up. And, um, but there's a lot more to Phoebe and to what she, her own particular lack, um, than what um, Will and... An unattentive reader will um will really get from from the book uh from from her it's uh she's got a lot more going on and it kind of see- seeps through the cracks it's um and will is ends up being a big part of what's what's wrong because he's a terrible terrible person
1: oh god yeah
0: <laughs> i mean yeah she doesn't get off the hook at all she blows up a cheerleading team or something. But um, yeah, Will is, um, and I was thinking this when I I read the book, how like some of the best depictions of men in fiction have always come through people who aren't, or who are at least not uh, cis-hetero men. Um, It's either been like this, so written by a cis woman, Or um, think of, like, American Psycho or even Fight Club, both written by gay men. There's, like, some of the best writing about men is always done by people who are just, like, a step removed from being a default male. Like, I I question my own ability to write about men, because I know people who aren't me do it a lot better than I ever could. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Whether, like, men are so uh inside our own cult of masculinity that we can't really see outside of it as well as we should.
1: I think I think there's a there's a social component to that on top of the psychological one. And they condition each other. Um. So, one of the best benefits of privilege. I mean this very darkly. I don't mean <laughs> this as how it sounds. Um, yeah. One of the best benefits of privilege. Is self blindness um, because if one were aware of either the gifts of privilege or the uh, actions taken from its position, the only responsible reaction would be horror. Um, and there's a lot. There's been a lot of psychological and sociological writing that the um, like the suicide drive in privileged people partly comes from uh, this. Uh, subconscious recognition that can't be reconciled with the conscious. And there's, which is an interesting thought. It isn't, um, I don't think it has a super huge amount of ground, but it's, it's an interesting thought. Um, but one of those is, I was thinking about this just a second ago too. Um, one of the other benefits of privilege is we are, at the top of the totem pole, or the closer to the top of the totem pole you are, the more ability you have to act out all the shitty, fucked up things that happen to you with increasingly fewer repercussions. Um, and one of, and this is one of the darkly humanizing things about lack of privilege: it doesn't mean that people lower on the totem pole aren't just as fucked up, like bearing trauma and i mean it, this is where you get the, the ugly stories of like the abuses um in intra-queer space where different people in queer communities abusing each other and then to the outside world having a show of solidarity because even even intracommunal violence is uh preferred to the kinds of violence that can be meted out by people from the outside or um this happens and in any kind of uh, space of marginalized people, the thing women can do to other women, the thing that racial minorities can do to uh, each other is we all, the darkly human thing is we all bear this, um, our own fucked up rotting wounds. And part of having privilege is having the ability to act out on that in a social way. So like a straight white man or a cis white man uh, with even just a little bit of money can carry out his trauma on almost anyone he wants with very, very little repercussion. Meanwhile, the further down that totem pole you get, the more you have to be, the more socially you get beaten into a shape of compliance. So your wounds don't go away. They just get covered by a mask of, I am absolutely not allowed to do what that white guy is doing. Like, that's where you see white mass shooters are allowed to walk into a theater and blow people away, and they'll be arrested peacefully and brought to prison and protected by guards so that no one hurts them during the trial. And meanwhile, a black person is thought to have a gun with no evidence, and they get immediately killed.
0: Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's interesting you brought up privilege, because um, that was a, a, a thing. That was one of the things I didn't like about the book, and there weren't many, but this one stuck out to me, um, which was that it was it's set at a, a privileged liberal arts college. Uh, none of the characters, apart from, say, I think Julian is, um, is gay, none of them are really dealing with a an identity that marks them out as someone that the police could would just up and shoot for no reason um they're all wealthy uh, well um will isn't particularly wealthy but he affects that he is and there's a, a bit about that in there um yeah they're, they're very uh, they're all very privileged upper middle class people and they kind of are able to live a life because of that where like you said, they don't really have to deal with the, the uh, the problems that they could have if they were different somehow, and so they can basically turn inward and look at their god-shaped holes. Okay, one of the kind of cliches about the difference between like you know, poor people and rich people, is that the poor, the rich will be going to their therapists and whining about their lives, while the poor. If infinitely more bad things happen in them every single day we'll just have to uh, buck up and get on with it. It's a, it's a cliche it doesn't really work out in a real world but um, that's kind of it's kind of a, a, a something you can kind of see in the incendiaries, where these people are they're college students so they have a ton of time on their hands and they can just look in woods and they can find there's nothing there and the nigger looking for it. Either I mean, in, this is...
1: Oh, yeah, you keep going. Oh, no, no,
0: no, Yeah, I, I mean, I was just going to say, either in, like, relationships with each other, as in Will and Phoebe, or in uh, religion, as in Phoebe and John Leal.
1: I mean, so a brief defense of some of the cliches of literary fiction of, like, the divorce novel, the uh, um, yada, yada, yada. We, we can all rattle those off pretty easily. Um... Except now, apparently. Now I can't. But um, uh, those exist precisely because of the things that you're talking about, where the notion of... So, uh, this actually ties back to my stance that um, a lot of literary fiction are micro-genres in the same way that like, a fantasy novel, or fantasy has its own sets of kinds of stories it deals with, and sci-fi has its own kinds of stories, things like that. Um, is... Mature adult fiction in a literary bent tends to hover around those spaces because it's thinking precisely about what happens to you when you've been good and haven't acted out in those ways and have given, like, feel like you've reconciled things and then you realize 17 years into a marriage that you absolutely haven't and it just becomes this, like, hammer that cracks you in the head. Um, And sometimes I think that, People outside of the literary fiction world think of these stories as somehow being like, it's good that this adult has a sexual relationship with a teen or something like that to pick one stereotypes or uh, that like, oh, the self aggrandizing guy who breaks up with this woman or breaks up with his wife because he's having a crisis of faith. Um, the notion of those is at least, uh, the same thought you were outlining, that when you put those aside because you either aren't allowed to deal with them or you just like can't at the time, and then all of a sudden they just bubble up. And outlining in different genre ways, different ways they can bubble up in different positions in life that they can bubble up. And the uh, the inherent thrust being that the actions that people take in that space aren't good. The uh, the sort of yeah, – they're not presented as a, a trauma point to hover uh, a, a novel around because they're being condoned. That's something that I think is really weird to read like critics of uh, literary fiction discuss where it's like as though books are condoning having a midlife crisis of faith and divorcing your wife. And it's like I – the point of the book is that that's conflict. Like the, the whole – None of these books would exist if people had properly uh, engaged with a lot of these issues prior. And uh, granted, there are a lot of those books that are just as lazily uh, conceptualized and uh, borne out as there are in any other genre. Literary fiction doesn't automatically mean that your book is good. It just means a certain uh, aesthetic palette um, and attentiveness to prose, hopefully um but yeah i agree that this took especially coming from a writer who is 35 and certainly has life under her belt um to place it in a position where she's removed so many of the constraints that at least even stereotypically would inhibit someone from reconciliation with these things like those uh the trauma points of like Speaking as a working class schlub, I have later today, in fact, um, that the knowledge of I'm customer facing. So no matter how I'm feeling emotionally about an hour before I go to work, I have to find a way to put all of that away and be the customer facing congenial person that I need to be for my job. And I need it's I'm on my feet all day for the like six to eight hour shifts. And I'm lifting and twisting things upwards of 50, 70 pounds, things like that. So the, like at a certain point, you have to put all of your life away. You need to be physically ready. You need to be emotionally ready. You need to um, no matter what's going on in your life. And that not being like a, it's not a good skill to have to learn because obviously shit still happens in your life. And that's only, the constraint of being a working class person, how a lot of your life gets truncated in service to uh, making someone else all their money. And then I can only imagine what it's like to not be a man, to not be straight, to not be white, things like that. And yeah, so it's, it, I agree that sometimes it felt, it's sort of the biggest weakness in being an adult and looking back at either campus novels or young adult fiction is sometimes when it doesn't grapple with, sometimes you realize that they've picked young adults precisely because they have less uh, concatenated problems to deal with. You can get a more pure snapshot of a problem. And sometimes as an adult that feels less compelling because you look around and you're like, I'm in my thirties now. No one I know has a life as uncomplicated as that, that they can afford to have full focus on these
0: things. And uh, speaking of campus novels, we've read two in a row now. Uh, And the first one I'm saying probably wasn't, didn't exactly reflect the uh, campus experience. Although weirdly I found that I related to uh, my own American college experience seemed a lot more like um, trigger warning that it did a really good book by a really great writer. Yeah. I, I didn't like, it didn't feel like a real college to me. It felt like, uh, it felt, they felt weirdly uh, very adult people, like very, like upper middle class adults who have a lot of time on their hands They were always uh, drinking wonderful cocktails, Uh, they would have all this like alcohol on hand just to give to someone when they were in the room. It was was very um, genteel and very, um, it was very unlike my own time in college and they didn't really speak like uh, 19 year olds and yeah it it wasn't very much and um, the new yorker kind of picked up on this as well in their review of the book which was mostly glowing but it they did mention that it's it's very out of place it, it, it doesn't seem to be something that's taking place in 2018 apart from the mention of laptops and mobile phones it's it's all very it's very not here and um which seems to be a kind of trope in literary fiction
1: as well. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. It fell victim to, as brilliant as the writing was, just startlingly good prose. Um, uh, it is it is worth uh, noting that this is her debut as, as a novelist, not her debut as a writer, and you can tell that she's put in Not just a shitload of labor into this book, but a shitload of labor into developing your craft. Like, every sentence sings. It's it's absolutely brilliant. But, yeah, that sometimes there can be a thing that's lost there, and that it feels irreal a lot. Like, the psychological portraits, I think, are real, but, yeah, like, the world in which it takes place doesn't... To to put it in a, a certain way, um, as much as certain literary types, and this is this is much less true now than it was a decade ago, two decades ago, five decades ago. As much as literary types sometimes like to look down their nose at other genre forms or other media, that's um, like no, you're no you're derivative, you're you're. Um, because it doesn't cohere to the real world every now and again, there is sort of a stereotypical Quan does not go this far, but the Franzinesque, esque uh, like weird mishmash of like uh, sitcoms and uh, upper crust novels from the 1800s. And it's like, there's two thoughts just Pounded into each other in the literary fiction world in like the 1920s, and no one has ever let go of it since. (laughs) That everyone has fancy cocktail parties and has like just will sit and like brood, um, versus being a teen where there is a lot of sitting and brooding, but you're listening to shitty music and it's over some shit that doesn't matter, and (laughs) uh someone yells someone yells up a staircase that like they're going to get some natties, man.
0: You wanna you wanna roll out? <laughs> yeah, no no one did that here. And no no one vapes, no one listens to like SoundCloud rap. No one yeah. is... in real life, Will would probably just be playing so much Fortnite that he would never have met Phoebe.
1: There's no but... long periods where it's just lists of boring Reddit threads that he's reading.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's um he's able to just go <laughs> nope. on a laptop and just like Google something. And he is able to hold a coherent thought about it and not just go on Twitter.
1: Yeah, he's, nope. at, at no point are there interludes where it's just things he looked at on his phone while on the toilet.
0: Yeah, that, that should be. Yeah, should. Actually, someone is making that book. It's called Live Blog and it's out later this year. And it's by uh, Tallinn's girlfriend. So, Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, or maybe wife. I don't know. I'm sorry, I know you were holding out for Are you? Uh, to marry him, but uh, he's, I was, uh, like,
1: he's not I was like, if you're not kidding, I'm gonna shoot myself.
0: <laughs> it's, it's called Live Blog, I'm really hoping to get it because it might be good. Who knows? But um,
1: to be fair, to be fair, that and we were talking about this before that, um, there is a benefit to breaking. Uh, one of the few benefits of alt was the breaking of contemporary social media does have a place in literary fiction because it is part of our, it's been the part of everyday life for over a decade now. And it needs to have a little bit more incorporation and like Egan showed how it can be formally incorporated in a better way. Um, but yeah, yeah. Sometimes this book felt like the, the image of adulthood that people at this point in their life have of themselves, without necessarily, for all of its psychological realism, it sometimes lacked the like. Here is what you actually look like to adults.
0: <laughs> hmm. Yeah, but I think on the whole, that that was that was the book's major flaw, and that's not a book killing flaw. I think yeah. on the on the whole, this is a really really good. Book and as a debut even though yeah admittedly it's a debut after 10 years of writing and if you look at the acknowledgments she's been on i think every single like writing retreat in the entire world and fellowship and writing conference and everything she's really putting her work into this um yeah it's a cracking debut and um yeah and it, it does grapple with some big big shit like the big questions and as much as you know as much as literary fiction is the genre where you should be able to grapple with those questions it's kind of ceded a bit of ground to even sci-fi lately yeah being able to go after the really go after the real white whales and uh, tackle the huge stuff Um, There's been this oh, you go on. No, go on. There's been this
1: startling fear of being pegged as pretentious in Mm. literature, and especially literary fiction, for a while. That they've tried to make it more and more earthy. Um, Raymond Carver, unfortunately, uh, contributed quite a bit to that himself. With like, no, no, trim it down. Uh, And there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. But as much as books that are deep. And real psychological portraiture are good and necessary and provide quite a bit to people. At some point, you have to ask, like, it's not wrong to ponder these larger questions. It's why we have the fields of sociology, the fields of political science, the fields of psychology, like to it's why we have the, the push for social justice that we do. It's why we have so much it's hard to use social media without being suffused with writing about the ills of the world and their origins. And that's, that's, it's sometimes hard information to learn, but it's good information. And yeah, the fact that so many other genres have felt comfortable going like, these are things people think about. These are concerns people have. These are broader, bigger things. Like it. Yeah, this weird wariness that one of the worst things you can be called even in uh, the literary world is uh, pretentious and self-absorbed, which is fair, but it then creates this paranoia that a lot of writers feel like they're not, whether they're conscious of it or not, it's like they back away from anything that would get them labeled as like a through-through. And it's like, it doesn't have to be. This is an example of like, these are real things with real effects, she grapples with a lot of those larger issues by going, like, they're not made-up problems. These are the broader, seemingly frou-frou, psych, uh, philosophical pondries that people on Twitter seem to be, like, thumbing their assholes about. But this is the direct application. It's like, this is where a lot of the uh, social and interpersonal malfeasance stems. Are these, like... Yeah, so I, I really... I dug that quite a bit from the book of the, the way that it seems to trying to think of the word for it, um, reaffirms that the philosophical quest in, in fiction and in art is not a worthless endeavor by people who can't write about the suffering of women and the suffering of black folk and things like that. But if anything, it's like, no, this is us pondering, Where can this come from? Um, What is its internal character? Not its social character, but its internal character. Um, Hmm. Just like, it's quietly clapping as I read it.
0: (laughs) Good. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, pretty fucking fantastic book. And I hope she doesn't spend 10 years on the next one. Yeah. But, um, so, people at home, go out and buy it. Yeah. um, But let's, turned our attention uh towards uh black metal once again (laughs) and um this is like the total opposite end of uh what holder was doing uh this is a lady who goes by the moniker pennant stare which uh marvel comics fans will know is what happens when a ghost rider looks at you he does this like spooky stare and then you get all scared and stuff because he's a skull and he's on fire. He is.
1: And he has leather
0: jackets. <laughs> Making him a really, really cool dude. All he needs is some sunglasses and a cigarette. And he's got, like, everything he needs to be a cool, cool dude. He's straight but, up cool.
1: He's yeah. just, that's, he's cool, baby.
0: Cool, cool guy. And the I, current, I The know...
1: current Ghost Rider book is called Cosmic Ghost Rider. The premise is, what if he had a muscle car and was in space? That's my pitch. What? And it's real. It's real. That's not made up. That is real. Cosmic Ghost Rider. Boom. In stores there, now.
0: There are days when I, I really regret giving up on comics.
1: Yeah, they're fucking oh. tight.
0: They've gotten way dumber
1: recently in the best way.
0: <laughs> huh. I just need to get back into that. But uh, anyway, Penance Uh She's from... Graves, uh, no, Gateshead, which is up north, even further north than I am, and it's proper grim up there, and it's where you'd expect um, black metal to come from, and she makes, uh, like, it's really obviously ambient, depressive black metal, and, but, uh, with a little nod to Shoegaze, but it also sounds like um, Witch House, my favourite disappeared genre, like, I love Me from Witch House back in the day. I hated Salem. Salem fucking suck and they're all lame and I hope they're all dead. But um, <laughs> everyone else in Witch House, everyone else in that genre, really, really good. I love Me Some Witch House. And um, Pennant Stair does. It, it's heavy on the black metal side, but it is still within the Witch House thing. And um, she's playing shows all over the north of England lately and it's awesome, and I'm gonna play the second song of uh, the album Scrying. She's got a new album out really soon, uh, which hasn't been released on Bandcamp just yet, but the uh, Scrying came out in April of this year, so she's prolific too. And um, yeah, her second track, really rockin' good. And um, come back next week, because I'm gonna start reading Dune. Like, literally tonight, I'm gonna to read the book Dune, Probably not very much of it. I'm so
1: fucking excited. I am so fucking excited.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna go deep into the world of the planet Arrakis and sandworms and- um,
1: You're gonna learn you some shy halud, boy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm gonna like know all these really great uh, words from the um, glossary that's like a thousand pages It's in the back of the book.
1: It's so tight, all of the words
0: are good. Yeah, they, no, not um, like mod dip, whatever. Mod dib <laughs> Yeah, that's a terrible word.
1: No, it's great. It's, oh, it's, it sucks. Oh, wait till next week. I'm gonna bust out the etymology of a lot of these things, and uh... you're gonna have your head's gonna spin.
0: Uh okay. it's
1: good though. Like, I I don't,
0: I know. It's gonna be good. I'm gonna no, even the, the
1: etymology it. is good. You're gonna be like, wait, what? And I'm going to
0: be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I'm going <laughs> to feast on some spice melange Blanche. next week. That's so, that's Okay, if, if you're going to do that, when well, I'm just cancelling this whole podcast, <laughs> get on SoundCloud gonna delete the whole thing if you do any more <laughs> silly voices about dude. Okay. <laughs> I'll watch the fucking film, all right? I, I don't need... I don't need you being Sting, whatever the hell it is.
1: <laughs> I can't believe they got Sting in that movie. They had <laughs> Agent Cooper knife fight a bikini wearing Sting to the death.
0: <laughs> that was good. I'm going to watch that again. Yeah. I, I watched that when I was like eight years old. I didn't get a single word of it. People um, pretend that movie's not good just because
1: it's insane, but it's uh, both an accurate transcription of what happens in the book and completely fucking bonkers.
0: So that's coming up next week, Uh, and after two of those, we're going to read the Chapo book. And they like Doom, so it's kind of uh, works together. Big Doom fans. It all
1: segues together.
0: Yep. Holographic, man.
1: All deliberate.
0: Everything I'm doing is entirely deliberate. None of it is made up on the spot.
1: Just in here. That's just it. That's just it, baby.
0: Uh, Listen to Penance Stare and the song Purr off screen and come back next week for some Dune.